so hey Kelly, Kayleen, and Brad here. We wanted to make this video for you, answering your questions. Uh, we're, well, I am personally, I think I told you this via email, better speaking than I am typing, if you can believe that already. <laughs> uh, so it's a, usually a little bit quicker for us, and I don't know, hopefully you maybe get more out of it and get to see our personalities. Or whatever. Okay, great. So, <laughs> so I'm going to read the questions and then we'll just answer them. So I hope this is not like the weirdest thing you've ever seen and, but we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Anyway. I'm making it the weirdest thing you've ever seen. <laughs> I think I'm making it the weirdest thing you've ever seen. We're actually going to do it in the car. So I think this is hopefully less weird because uh, my window is broken. Okay, so question number one. Can you please tell me a little bit more about yourselves and how you came into each other's lives? And then we'll go on the other parts of question great. number one. Do you want to go first? Yeah, well, our story's kind of the same. <laughs> um, well, I took a sailing class back in college. I went to the University of Rhode Island and um, signed up for a scuba class, but then the scuba class was full, so I had to take sailing. And Kaylin was my sailing instructor, actually. And about, this was in the spring of what, like 2014? Mm -hmm. And uh, about halfway through the semester, it was like a really windy day. I don't know what really windy is, like 14 knots or something, something like that. And I was a beginner sailor. I was just yeah, learning. Yeah. And she or somebody else pushed me, not pushed me, but, well, I really wanted to. They put me in a faster boat that I've never sailed before in a really gusty wind. And one of our friends, Amy, rigged the boat. And they just, like, they sent me off. And I was on my way. And I probably made it, like, 50 feet off the dock and it was I, I like I just like took off right off the dock and I I guess a gust of wind hit me and I jibed back and forth if you're a sailor you know what that means and then I guess the sail or the mast kind of like came up and I capsized like forward over so like the nose went in and I just dived over and um I ended up breaking the boat. I like brought it back up and like the whole deck of the boat was broken. So I couldn't sail it. And then Kayleen came over with the in the powerboat and I swam over to the powerboat and she just like grabbed my life jacket, <laughs> threw me in the boat, and I was just laying there on the bottom looking up at her saying and I said like uh like wow you're strong <laughs> or something like that. And um yeah, that was how we met. And then the rest was history, as they say. Mm -hmm. And then he sat next to me as we rescued a bunch of other people because it was super windy. So we put Brad in that laser because he was one of the, he was the best sailor in the class and we thought that he could handle it. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't his fault. Yeah. And then from there, you know, we started, well, not from there, but we eventually started dating. And then I actually got a job at the sailing center where she worked. And mm -hmm. I worked there for like a year and a half, two years. Mm -hmm. And before we moved on. And that's kind of where our story kind of began, if that's the question. Yeah, how we came into each other's lives. Yep, so. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's kind of where everything started and, and flourished from there. That's the story of how we met. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yep, so I was a sailing instructor. I did that for many years before. Brad took sailing in the academic year, so we both went to URI, mm -hmm. and um, we had, because of the interest of sailing, ended up with a similar group of friends, kind of on and off, um, and were able to, to connect from there. And so, the next question is, what are your interests, quirks, and hobbies? Alright, I think that's better answered. By each other? By each other. Okay. 
Well, why don't you start with your interests? And I'll my start interests. with my interests. Well, my interests primarily right now is this coaching business. Like, I'm... Because I... Kayleen does all, like, the coaching, like, one-on-one um, -on -one stuff with the her clients or our clients and stuff. Um, and I help out with the podcast and stuff. And, like, I'm able to bring in a different perspective on things because I was a partner... Um, of her going through that whole journey with her. So that's kind of like the unique perspective that I get to bring. Um, and I do all the kind of like website stuff in the back end. And like, I like, I really, really love that stuff. And I really, really believe in the mission that we're doing here. So honestly, that is my primary focus. I wake up thinking about this, you know, I wake up, I go to the gym, I do my thing. I come here and I work all day. And then, you know, we talk about it like, on our way home, like this is the end of our day when we're shooting this video for you. Um, and then we're gonna think about it all day and like we're constantly talking about it. So like this is like our obsession, this is our life. Um, and outside of that, I mean, I just, I love hanging out with my family. That's what we're gonna be doing tomorrow on Sunday. Um, hobbies, I play a lot less now, music, drums, guitar, piano, and I produce music too. Actually, that was kind of how we met too because we're both musicians, and Brad invited me over to hang out and, and jam <laughs> in his basement, <laughs> uh, and, and, and we did, and we connected over to That's how you know somebody likes you. Yeah, come, come hang out in come my basement. Come jam in my basement on, for a first date. It's very weird, and when I got there, he lived with another girl, and there was this other girl on the couch, and I was like, wait a minute, I thought we liked each other, like, what? <laughs> and it was very, very She was just my friend. But she was just a friend that lived with him. Um, so he, he's a fantastic musician. He's a fantastic music producer as well as playing and writing. And, but the, the production is just outstanding on his music. Um, and I, I play. Sometimes I play locally. Mm -hmm. I just play like acoustic music. So those are some of my... Uh, uh, besides being obsessed, like Brad said, with the business, this is all we do, all we think about it. Sometimes Brad will wake up in the middle of the night and like email himself ideas. Oh, I do that just all like the time. all the time, yeah. and just like these, these like sleepy ideas. Sometimes they don't make any sometimes sense. Sometimes they don't make any sense. They're but hilarious. To sometimes about. they're really good, and it's just that like obsession, like waking up thinking about it, and how we can yeah. have the biggest impact, and and things like that. But yeah. in regards to quirks, one other hobby though is reading and self improvement. I would say that that's a well, hobby. growth is growth, a huge one for you. Growth. And that always was one for him. When he was playing a lot more music, he, he would read music textbooks. Even though he didn't go to school for music, he'd read music textbooks and, and always be looking how to tweak, how to make it better, how to improve. How can I get essentially like 1% better each and every time and, and make it the best it can absolutely be, which comes through in your music but mm. uh, and comes through in a lot of things. And that's something you brought into my life is that like constant growth and, and self-improvement yeah. as, as a hobby for sure. But Corks, Brad does this thing where he'll, I'll, we'll be like both standing side by each at like, <laughs> you know, the counter or something doing dishes. Kelly, let me know like, if anybody else says side by each. That's not over a hundred years old. Um, we'll be like standing at the counter and he'll, he'll, he's so big. He's so long. He's 6'4". I'm 5'4". Are you 5'4"? How tall are you? I'm 6'4". Yeah. Yeah, you're I'm actually 5'4 and 3 quarters. <laughs> but he'll, he'll stand with his foot right behind me. So every time I go to take a step backwards, I trip. I just naturally stand with my leg out a little bit. And, and, and it's just always behind, behind my leg. Honestly, it just happens to 
But for some reason, she's always backing up and tripping over it, so I don't know. And he squeezes the toothpaste instead of, like, rolling it like a mm -hmm. human being. He just will squeeze it. So, like, some of it's down at the bottom and some of it comes out the top. Yeah. I focus on what's important. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, he's kind of cool. Um, My turn. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when Kayleen gets really excited, she does this little skip. It's a skip that I've never seen anybody else in the world do. But you know when she's really excited, she's doing that skip. And she dances all the time, and she sings all the time. She sings about everything that she's doing. Not like when she's in a happy, good mood, which is 99% of the time. She's singing about what she's doing, um, making up her own songs, or singing somebody else's song that she's heard on the radio. Um, but those are the things that, that she does. And uh, we love to dance. And we do. to the music that we sing. Our own weird, so we'll be like, we're making an interview video. And we just sing that. We'll just, just sing like that. that. That's a, that's a like great thing. It's a weird tick that we both have. <laughs> and we're grateful we both have it. Because I remember being young and, and being like alone in the house and doing stuff like that and like just making up weird and just like making weird sounds and like dancing. And yeah. Brad remembers doing this, the same thing. So we got, <laughs> we got pretty lucky yeah. on that. <laughs> so I hope you don't regret asking that question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, okay, cool. So the second question, what are your family backgrounds like? Do you believe your history and child development to be relevant to your experiences with PTSD? Yes. Yeah, I think, um, well, that's the answer to the second one. The first one is your family background. What are what your are family, family backgrounds like? Well, I had an amazing, amazing, amazing family. Um, I used to always say... And I still believe this, that you know, I, I got very lucky with my, my parents and my family and the town that I grew up in and everything. I just like, thought I had you know, no problems. You know, nothing. I, I thought I had a great childhood. Um, but leading into your second question, I believe that everybody is affected by their childhood in some way or another, whether or not it's traumatic or not. Like Everybody goes through something that shapes who they are, their beliefs, the way that they act, the way they interact in the world. And I think... That, you know, yes, absolutely with me, like, my, what was the question? My child, my history, my child development was relevant to my experiences with PTSD. And I think that, you know, everybody's is. I think everybody, um, we're, as we were reading this before, we have, we're going to go into some other things that we believe. But, um, you know, I think everybody's is impacted by that. And I think, you know, your future, especially with PTSD, your experiences with PTSD, but all experiences are, are impacted by what you go through. And a lot of that is, is unconscious, too. And a lot of that, through our process of healing and, and growing through that, made all those things conscious. So, like, throughout my life, I thought that I, I had this perfect life and, like, nothing ever bad happened to me. But going through this process, I learned that there were a lot of things that, from an outside point of view, may not have seemed, like, that bad. Or, like, they weren't traumatic from an outside perspective, but they were things that shaped the way that I acted and reacted to things that you know, did affect me, so. Yeah, and Brad was talking about our, our kind of beliefs, and, and we'll, we'll probably touch on this again, but, you know, everyone gets hurt, and it doesn't necessarily mean, like, something we would con consider, quote-unquote, traumatic. Um, you know, something as, as seemingly small as a childhood embarrassment or an elementary school, you know, embarrassment in front of your classroom or asking a question and your class laughs at you, can, can impact you for the rest of your life and can have 
um, just as much impact as trauma can. So there's research kind of on yeah. on how even little moments like that are, are truly not little moments because mm -hmm. you feel, especially when you're young as a kid, you're so vulnerable, you're so uh, you're so just like fresh and like sensitive, just uh, just yeah. trying to like grow up and figure out who you are and and kind of where you fit and what you believe. Um, and a little yeah. thing like that can go a long way in regards to truly harming someone um, and and should be treated, you know, kind of as such, as as yeah. traumatic. Um, That's one of the most amazing qualities about Kaylin is that she can see, she just accepts people and sees people for who they are and she sees someone in pain and is like, it doesn't matter. That's something that she really helped me with. It doesn't matter what you went through, like it really affected you, it really hurt you. Who cares what other people think or what it compares to in, or how your event compares to this event or this event or this event. It's like you went through this individual experience and it hurt you and like you deserve to feel calm and at peace. And like that's something huge from her perspective that really shapes. I know a lot of her coaching. I know a lot of her clients say that um, they feel that, that love and that acceptance that they don't really feel from anybody else from Kayleen. And I feel that same way too. <laughs> He's a sweet. Um, well, that's really important, and actually, that's an important part of kind of our, our branding and our messaging is something we don't ever share is, is our personal like stories. I mean, we'll, we'll share like our journeys, you know, and like we went from rock bottom to you know this is what we did and this is what we did, but we don't share like personal detailed stories, and that's there's a very specific reason for that, and and that is the reason because because something so seemingly small can affect someone in, in just as big a way as something totally, to, like, totally horrifying. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the culture out there right now is, well, I'm going to share my story and I'm going to, you know, speak out. And, you know, there's definitely benefits to that. But, you know, what we find mostly is, like, if I say, hey, I went through X, Y, and Z, you know, you're either going to sit and think, well, well, that's nothing compared to what I went through. You know, I'm never going to get better. Or you're going to say, well, that's way worse than what I went through. What do I have to complain about? You're like, I don't even really feel all that bad compared to you. So it can be a very, very dangerous game, especially when you see the research on, on something so small uh, or seemingly small affecting someone throughout a lifetime. So it's, it's I mean, I, I could go on. I could go on. But uh, <laughs> my family background, we had, we had similar family backgrounds, I think, in some regard and very different in some regard as well. I grew up Irish Catholic, uh, which I think probably says a lot. I don't know. Um, but my history in child development was definitely relevant to, you know, my experiences with, <laughs> with PTSD. And I think the, I think you ask a question. Yeah. The next question you ask is ab about vulnerability in the family unit. Um, you know, my family, I, I, I have one sibling and two parents. We had a dog. Um, you know, we grew up going to church and I was talking to Brad last night, actually, we were, we were talking about Catholic guilt and Irish Catholic guilt and kind of all that goes along with that. And, um, I don't know where this comes from and we're doing kind of some more reading on it, but definitely a culture that I grew up with was definitely the stereotypical, like Irish Catholic, like you don't really talk about anything and like you don't really, you know, you don't really feel anything and definitely something I grew into later in life was, was the drinking and uh, that as a way of kind of coping and numbing, which I didn't particularly see my parents do. 
but also didn't particularly see my parents express emotions appropriately either. So we, we, we grew up very differently, like very similarly socioeconomically, but very differently in regards to communication and expression of emotion in the household. Would you say that's true? For the most part. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next question, was vulnerability a part of your family units? What might you have to say about what you learned emotionally from others as a young person? Um, well, vulnerability, a part of my family unit. Um, yes and no. We weren't, um, I don't know, we're not a family who, who like, talks about a lot of deep issues. Um, but we're there for each other when we need it. And I haven't, luckily, there, there are just a few key moments where I needed that, that perspective, that like where I was feeling very vulnerable in myself, where I could, I felt like I could go to um, my mom and, and talk to her about those things, or my dad and talk to her about those things. Um, and that was really important, but on a day-to-day -day basis, we didn't really, I don't know, we don't, we didn't, we didn't talk about vulnerable things, like emotions weren't really a part of the conversation at all. Um, and what might I have to say about what I learned emotionally from others as a young person? Um, I learned, the biggest lesson I learned emotionally, I learned what true, honest love, unconditional love and acceptance is from my mother, and I have never seen another, um, person, except maybe my grandmother, who shows that level of unconditional, completely unconditional love and acceptance, um, who no matter, no matter what, she loves you. I've never, I mean, she's, I don't even know if I call it like raising her voice. I don't think she's ever like, she's like raised her voice. She's never yelled. She's, I don't know. She's just like, She's the perfect mom, and that is the thing that I learned the most that I bring to my life. And I was able, after learning that I deserved it to myself and to our relationship together and, you know, to, to other people. And that was the biggest thing I learned, and I just absorbed that from her, and she just gave that to me, and that's the biggest gift that I've ever gotten in my life. She really is that awesome too. Um, I, I, I heard her raise her voice once and it was the most loving skull. <laughs> you were getting, do you remember you were getting dressed for your brother's wedding and oh. you were going in the car with them? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's what it is. It's it, it, just like when I'm running late or something. And I'm, she like I'm called him a few times to like come down. They were, they were going to take photos for the wedding and he was talking to me and I was, I still had to get dressed and stuff. Um, and she like called him a few times and then her, her tone just tweaked. You know, she didn't really raise her voice, but her tone tweaked and you could tell like, okay, it's time to go. Oh, okay. Uh, serious. Yeah. Um, so she's, she's a sweetheart. Um, so in regards to vulnerability in, in my family unit, I wouldn't say that, you know, emotions were part of the conversation either. Um, you said something, what might you have learned emotionally from others as a young person? You know, we, we grew up differently in regards to expression of love, like, like in your house, you, you didn't have like raised voices. We definitely have raised voices. So when we met, our, our communication was very different. And I think 
from the time you're a child, like wherever you grow up, you know, and Brad grew up with his mom and she's like an absolute, just, she's an absolute angel. And so he absorbed all of that and that's how he sees communication and that's how he sees love and acceptance and, and feeling at home. And I grew up in a, in a different situation where there were raised voices and there was, you know, there, there like, I mean, essentially adult tantrums, you know, in, in simple terms. That's um, the best way to describe it. You know, and, and like, which now, now it's all so clear, but, yeah. uh, you know, that influenced me because that, that was my reference, so to speak, of communication and of expression of emotion. So what, basically what it was in my house was uh, you, you feel and then you hold it and then you have a tantrum. Uh, and that was, that was my, my uh, experience since I was young and carried into our relationship down the road, which took a toll on our relationship. Now it looks very different, of course, um, but... Brad's perspective of never having a voice raised and my perspective of that's how you communicate. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're both extremes. I think mm -hmm. we've come to the, the terms of, of they're both extremes, but we've settled on what communication looks like in our relationship, which is very different now. Um, but it's, it's definitely impactful. I mean, whatever, right, you're like the, you're the image of the five people you spend the most time around, you know, and when yeah. you're a kid, you grew up in a family unit. And, you know, I had friends who, whose parents also yelled and, you know, were alcoholics. My parents weren't alcoholics, but, you know, and would yell and would break stuff. And so we just grew up very differently in that regard. Mm. So definitely, yeah. definitely, definitely in effect. Um, and that's what you learn. Whatever you're like just absorbed in is what you learn. So what are your favorite top 10 books, articles, media in that order that have influenced your coaching practice and understanding of healing? Uh, PTSD. Top 10 books, articles, and media in that order. In that order. In that order. Books. Top 10 books. Well, Kaylee has a nice I have a little list, list here. It's um, a team list, I believe, unless you're well, on your own list. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you go. Okay. Um, so books... In no, the books are in no particular order. Uh, <laughs> Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins, Mind Over Medicine, Dr. Rankin, uh, Dolly Parton, and Shania Twain. These I put them together as well. Uh, both of their autobiographies. Do the Work by Stephen Pressfield, Getting Past Your Past by Dr. Francine Shapiro, Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. Mm -hmm. Um, the 10X Rule by Grant Cardone, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, Buddhist Brain by Dr. Rick Hansen, and Why Students Don't Like School by Willingham. Um, so those are, those are our books. Mm. Uh, and in regards to like influence over coaching practice, so th again, those are our books and you know, we, we, we're very big self-education people. You know, I mean, kind of, obviously, I guess, because that's what we do is we're self-education for other people. Um, but also podcasts. Tony Robbins has a great podcast. Dean Graziosi has a great podcast. And we, um, Brad loves this guy, Sam Ovens. And we, you know, we take his programs and stuff. So we're always kind of self-educating. And those have been some of our positive influences in regards to our coaching practice and understanding of healing PTSD. But I would say more than positive, there have been a lot of, negative influences. So, you know, a big part of, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but a big part of 
the reason that we're, we do what we do and we're doing what we're doing is because, is because basically there's a huge hole in this market and because when you go and you look for help on PTSD, what you get told is, oh, I had a client actually put this so perfectly the other day. She said, okay, so basically you go online, you look for help and someone tells you, okay, here's a list of things that you can do to cope with the wreck you call your life until you die. Um, you know, so there's no, there's not a lot of hope online. It's cope and, you know, just kind of, you have to deal with it. And yeah. basically there's no path to healing. And so th these books aren't necessarily, I think one of them is in the PTSD field. So they're not necessarily even within the understanding or the scope of practice of healing PTSD or coaching even, so to speak. Well, I guess a few of them. But um, more so than these amazing positive influences that have helped us kind of understand, you know, the mind and the brain and, you know, how people learn and, and, and how people, you know, retain information and how, how your belief systems work. More so than these positive influences, it was negative influences. It was, I mean, we have, there's probably, I mean, there's tons of books on our shelves in the other room, but a chunk of them, we have a section of them that were given to us by authors who, you know, want us to um, review the book on the podcast or something. And they were nice enough to send them and, you know, when we were struggling and going through all those kind of same books, they, they're all hopeless. They're all really negative inputs. They, you know, they kind of wreck the belief that it's possible. They're talking about, you know, 10, 15 years of people being in therapy and then, then being okay enough to kind of move on, so to speak, and they're all really bad input. So even the people that are writing, the, with, with few exception, even the people that are writing the book, so to speak, on PTSD are, are doing it very, very wrong. Um, and so we saw a huge kind of need in the market and a huge gap in the market, and I call it market just in like a business sense, but in, in, a, in a, just a knowledge, a, a knowledge sense. Yeah of of no one no one's helping this issue so all the information out there is it's confusing it's conflicting it's high level and it's it's really challenging to kind of get a clear straight answer on what you need to do and you know after going through it ourselves and obviously distilling it it takes a lot of work to figure out what the clear answer is you know we have it <laughs> um and it's not it's not rocket science you know and we're, we're talking about like uh we we do a webinar i, I do a uh, well, you saw the webinar, or you saw some of the webinar um, that talks about the pillars of recovery. You know, it's it's very straightforward, and from there, like you can build off of that. You know, whether we ever work together or not, you can build off of those pillars because those are the pillars to recovery. And you know how people learn, and people need simple information. They need simple, understandable, clear-cut information, and everything is conflicting, and everything takes years to do, and they leave all this room for disbelief and we'll, 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 I, we'll get into that in, in, a, in a second as well, but um, more so than the, the amazing books that we've had and the influences that we've had are the bad references that we've had are of what are these authors doing? What are these doctors, these therapists that are writing books and telling people there's no hope and telling people you have to cope and you can't heal? What are they doing? Um, so that honestly was a bigger influence than, than the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think the books, too, were both really big readers. Um, I think more than anything, though, that helped influ influence us and um, help shape our minds so that we could have constructive 
discussions between us on on how to recover from PTSD. Because like Kaylin said, like I remember when I first Googled for information on PTSD. Like I was in my office, I used to be a realtor, and I remember sitting there and Googling it and just like going through everything and everything and everything. I was like, what the what the heck do you do? It's like, okay, you can do this and do this, 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 and this. And so like pretty much the information out there was pretty useful and then you go on the useless, sorry. <laughs> it was pretty useless. And um, like even you go to like some professionals and the information that like the paths that they, they tell you to take like are just not right. Um, but most of the information, most of the um, things that influenced our coaching and understanding healing of trauma was actually going through it ourselves and the conversations and the discussions and the independent thinking in our own minds and the critical thinking we had in our own minds to solve these problems. While taking information from all these other resources, it was us kind of pulling those, having this conversation, putting them to the test in our own lives and finding out what worked best and what, what didn't. And like there, like we found that there were some things that, that was right and there's a lot of things that were wrong. Um, but more than that, it was just our discussion going back and forth and like we spent hours and hours and hours just talking about this stuff. So it's our obsession. I, I, I think this kind of just helped facilitate that kind of discovery within us and kind of being able to piece everything together into this cohesive thing. And we still do. This is something we still do. Right now we're working on an update. Uh, a, a pretty big update to the program and the, the core is the same right the the pillars are the same but you know it's it's how can we get now it's how can we get this information across most effectively so you know students can retain the most information so everything's clear so there are less questions so there are less gaps you know we're always improving we're always working to improve and tweak and make things you know that much better and that much better and how can we put more power in the hands of our clients um, how can we, you know, in, enhance the, the program is called broken to unbreakable. And so, um, you know, the broken to, and it's not broken. It feels like broken to normal, you know, wasn't quite enough for us. We're, we're people that, you know, want to go the extra mile and want to take people the extra mile because we're not a huge fan of average. Average is, 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 uh, failing formula, <laughs> so to speak. So, um, That's yeah. you know, we don't want people to just be average and just be normal because normal people are still very, very unhappy and still live in a lot of emotional turmoil. Uh, we want to take people from feeling broken to unbreakable. So we're always reaching towards that next level and how can we help them even further and at a, you know, at a higher level and how can we serve in, in just in the best way possible. And that's what we're yeah. always, always working on. That's why we're so busy right now. That's why we're doing this, you know, after hours and that's, um, why it's been a while kind of communicating uh, yeah. in our communication gap, but because uh, we're, we're, we're always like absorbing information and, and tweaking the smallest things and, and big things to make it that much better. But that was always a part of our mindset. Well, this was something that Kayleen brought to us when we were both still struggling and hurting. Um, was that, I, think, I don't know, we were, I just remember we were on a walk and we were talking and then we we're just talking about, you know, like, <laughs> all this, like, how bad it sucked, but then we're like, but imagine what it's going to be like when we're actually through this. Imagine all the skills, imagine the mental strength we're going to have after pushing through this insanely, one of the most difficult mental blocks anybody can go through, PTSD, and coming out the other, other side. Imagine how strong you're going to be at that point. 
And then we're, we're people with like big goals we want to like achieve. And I believe that everybody has big goals. They just don't allow themselves to fully believe in it and fully go for it. Um, but you have all that strength. This was part of the mindset. We have all that strength after you go through this that you can bring to whatever venture or whatever thing you want to do after that to achieve your dreams. And that was, that was a part of Kayleen's core mindset from the beginning, you know, of when she made the decision to go forward and um, actually go all in on healing. Um, was that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in, I'm going to do all this, and I'm going to come out a stronger, better person and apply what I learned to achieve even more. So that's that same philosophy she brought to her coaching program, Broken to Unbreakable. It's not broken to normal, broken to unbreakable. And it's that way for a reason. It's not just a, a fun name. It's not just a cutesy name. <laughs> um, and also, you know, you have that momentum from uh, from the healing journey. And there's one more thing I wanted to say. Oh, our relationship. This was what really helped me. It, it was basically like, you know, in our dark moments, like if we can survive this, think about how strong that yeah. will be. Think about how easy everything else will be. Yeah. So. Basically using PTSD as a change agent to become superhuman. Yeah. So it's really, it's really neat. And when, you can, and when you can shift that in someone's mind, it's just amazing. It's beautiful to watch people go from feeling broken or rock bottom to like so empowered. And we see that every day and people reach out and their mindsets are changing and the way they view themselves, their self-image changes the way they view the world and the way they view the healing journey and they heal and it's it honestly like we we didn't know what we were in for when we started this journey and we've been blown away time and time again yeah. because it's it's you know it's about the work that they put in like well, I can I can hand you you know right you can bring a horse to water but you can't make them drink right and so I can hand you every single thing I could call you every day and tell you to do it but if you don't take action you won't see the results Mm -hmm. um, so it's a results-based, it's an action-based uh, program. So it's super, super neat. Um, <laughs> so another question here. Have you heard of trauma-informed education? If so, can you please let me know where you heard about this, how this applies to your work or personal experiences, and what resources you recommend? Yes, I heard it from Kayleen right before this interview. <laughs> but before that, no. Just before, when he asked what it was. Um, my... I think it's fascinating and very uh, um, important, though. It, I from think it's from my understanding of it. It's it's more of a like a a lens as a as an educator. You see your class through. So more of like a, a filter that you use to see you know why students are struggling. Right. Actually, one of my books here, why students don't like school, um, is partially it's partially in the brain and tr trauma comes up backhandedly. Um, but a lens by which an educator uh, sees their classroom and sees their students. And I think that's important to see, you know, why they act the way they do, why they react in how they learn and how trauma affects their ability to learn and, you know, your ability to even get information across. And when I was in school, um, I was studying, studying education and I, I worked in a district that was very low income. It was the lowest income in the state. Actually, I worked two, two schools and they're both the lowest income in the state. And you saw, well, Maybe not you saw this, but I, I saw this, you know, and it was it was more obvious for me. I didn't know what it was at the time, but it was obvious for me, I think, as someone who had been through hardship young. And these kids were uh, in Central Falls. They were third grade and um, third, third grade and fifth grade. 
third grade and fifth grade. And so they were young kids, very young kids. But you could see, you saw the kids that acted out. And, you know, as an education student, I saw how the teachers, you know, reacted and acted to those kids who acted out. And, you know, I kind of had a feeling that, you know, in a low income, you, you hear a lot of stories that these kids tell and that the teachers tell and, uh, you know, the parents aren't very involved and a lot of them are on welfare and things like that. And, you know, that's why, like, school doesn't matter when you have a traumatic home life. So it's obvious for me, um, as someone who, you know, brings that, that lens, I think, automatically, but I think it's a really great way, I think, especially for young kids, but I think it's a really great, like, lens um, to, to bring to the classroom and any sort of education. Um, how that applies to our, our work and our personal experience, you know, we have a, a mission statement, and we brought it out, and our, our mission, uh, do you want to read it? Yeah. Oh, you want me to read it? You can read it. <coughs> mission or our vision? Why don't we, why don't we do both? Uh, so our vision is to help every human suffering with PTSD fully recover in the easiest and fastest way imaginable. And our current mission is to create the most effective online PTSD recovery program, <clears throat> excuse me, that allows anyone, anywhere, to fully recover in one spot. And we actually have a follow-up mission once we achieve this goal, which is to heal the world of their past pain. So whether you call it PTSD or not, like we kind of talked about at the beginning, mm -hmm. everyone is in pain. Um, so that, that applies to... To us, because we want to heal not just people with a diagnosis or who think they have PTSD, mm -hmm. but everyone who's hurting and everyone who has a past and everyone has a past and everyone hurts. Yeah. Um, so that definitely applies and, and someday we'd like to, uh, infiltrate is not the right word, um, par partner <laughs> with the, the education, infiltrate the education system. <laughs> I'd love to infiltrate. And make some reform in regards to, to mental health because yeah. we've both firsthand been through the public education system and, and seen it. It, it fail us, to be honest. Um, so, um, it has its strengths, but not very many of them. So anyway, so the advice or resources recommended, um, you know, the, the advice for trauma-informed education, I think what's important in trauma-informed education, you can be trauma-informed, but until you heal yourself, until you truly understand, and I think to understand you have to go through, but to understand to the best of your ability, you have to heal yourself first. And so I think if you're an educator and you haven't dealt with the stuff in your past, traumatic or non-traumatic, um, then you can't serve at the highest level. You can't help kids whether you think they're traumatized or not. Um, so the advice is, you know, don't give advice that you haven't personally applied yourself and I think the best way to do that, you know, for, for educators who maybe haven't been through trauma or, or maybe don't have a hurt past or, or don't deal with their hurt past is to, is to direct students to someone who has. Um, and pretty straightforward there. And then um, my, next, my next big, big project would be to work with, with young kids in trauma and get a program that would work for them. Because, I, I, you know, the pillars are the pillars. Like, it, it will work either way. It just needs to be delivered to children differently than it's delivered to adults. Adults can be a lot more deliberate about their thoughts and their perspective and awareness and things like that. And kids are still brilliant, absolutely brilliant, um, but need the information tweaked in certain ways and the vocabulary tweaked. Um, mm. But they're almost, they're better students than adults are. Um, so the advice is just, just to make sure you're 
truly healed first and don't teach someone something that you don't know about and you haven't personally experienced. Yeah. Um, down to coping skills. You know, if, if you haven't tried it, if you haven't worked with it, if you haven't seen results with it, no matter was it what it is, you, you shouldn't be teaching with it. Don't teach math if you don't know how to do math. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that this is a great gateway into just understanding like a trauma-informed education. I think people just need to be informed about how like trauma or not past effects present. And there's just a lack, I think, a lack of understanding of that, um, how that works. And it's completely understandable. <laughs> you know, like, when someone, when, when someone with PTSD is yelling at you and screaming at you, you're not thinking about what they're going through or why they're going through that or anything. You're just experiencing, like, you're, like you're just taking in from your perspective, most likely, unless you can pull yourself out and actually see that this person was just really hurt and it's, about their pain and not about, you know, you at all. Um, but that happens on a lot smaller scales throughout everybody's lives. And I think just that kind of message just needs to, and that's something that I want to do, do more to with our mission, just permeate that message, that knowledge out to society as a whole, because I mean, school is incredibly important, but if you're able to get to the parents, you know, but I guess if you get to the kids, they'll grow up into parents. <laughs> <laughs> More important than, than I think, um, intellectual education is self-education. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not using either of those terms right, but more important, important than learning how to spell and how to do math is how to understand yourself and how to exist, <laughs> you know, like... How to how to how to love yourself Seriously. and how to communicate with yourself. Literally and, exist in your own mind. How can you exist in your own mind without it, having to block out all your thoughts or go crazy? Right, right. And so if we can do both at the same time, that I mean that's the way to do it. I'm I'm a huge advocate for education. You know, I'm very passionate about education. Um, and and but but it's the the emotional education, the mental health is. Not something that we learned in school, and not something I, uh, I'll expect to be seeing in the school system for a while. And when it's done, I don't think it'll be done right unless we do it. If I'm being honest, but um, it, it'll be interesting, you know, like our the next generation, maybe our our kids, to see kind of how they grow up and how they grow up, grow up differently. Because the culture is changing as we speak, but um, there's a long way to go, which is which is neat. There's a lot of room for growth. There's a lot of opportunity. Um, to help people and to educate people, so yeah, a lot going on on that question. <laughs> uh, so another question: What can you share with me about your coaching practice? What's the nature of your work, and how do you reach people? And who are your clients? Um, do you want to talk about your coaching? Okay. Practice. I think that that at least that part of the question. You okay. Um, so basically we run a program that helps people overcome PTSD. Um, so we use the term kind of like a roadmap. So if you watch till the end of the webinar, you'll have heard me talk about, you know, the three pillars of PTSD recovery and then about the coaching program that I run, that we run. And um, that's what it is. Essentially, it's a roadmap. So it's going through those three pillars um, and building the right beliefs, right? So the right mindset, the right routines, and then working through and actually processing trauma and pain and past hurts and then of course next level so we have the three pillars and then we have next level which is the kind of unbreakable you have all this momentum kind of stuff um, and the the most the the nature of the work is 
it, a lot of it is online, right? A lot of it is, is through videos and teaching kind of like stuff like this, me doing, you know, PowerPoints, sometimes, uh, you know, I'll do Q&As and stuff like that. So we have a, a community of people that we work with that we, you know, we touch base with obviously throughout the week and answer questions and stuff, but I'll do like a live Q&A and people will ask me questions and I'll answer them them there and we have clients all over the world. I have a, a map above my desk and it's it's so neat uh, that, you know, some countries that we've never even been to, we, we help people in and uh, we work a lot in Australia, New Zealand, Poland, the UK, Brazil, like all over the place, Canada, US, of course. Um, and it, they're they're all they're all different types of people. Um, yeah. They're they're they're. I mean, some of them are veterans. Some of them are U.S. veterans. Some of them are foreign veterans. Some of them are um, civil service workers. Some of them are teachers and educators themselves. Some of them are clinicians themselves or um, therapists themselves, he healers themselves, men, women young kids sometimes their their parents will kind of enroll if they're like you know like teenage years uh i mean tr truly a, a ton of different people over yeah. very different walks of life and to to that just have this this thing in common and it, it affects a lot of people i think it's, it's one in 13 or one in 11 people have ptsd um all different backgrounds different ethnicities different yeah. to just different everything, different traumas. No one no one knows right. what anyone else has been through, which is the beauty of it. You know, like I said, there's some, there's definitely some benefit to what's going on now in regards to labeling and stuff, but um, everyone just loves and supports each other within the community, those, those who are joining the community, but it can be as private or as, you know, as public as you want it to be. So it's a private community, but um, the platform is online and the, the modules are online. And so you can do it completely completely anonymously you know you never really have to interact with me if you don't want to um over the phone or anything like that we send workbooks so we send a journal and then we just send a workbook of all the worksheets that have to be done so they're all in one place and then uh, a planner so the unbreakable planner is what it's called and and it's um the things that you need to do kind of it's your goal sheet and then it's your um you know we, we talk about gratitudes we talk about to-do lists we talk about three good things we talk about you know tracking and you know, what would make tomorrow great there's a bunch of stuff on there and that's stuff that we still do because it's still important to keep the momentum and now they look very different right our gratitudes look different and our what would make tomorrow great and our goals look very different but um you know going back to that question you asked before about and my answer was don't don't apply what you don't know or don't don't teach what you haven't applied yourself you know, heal yourself first. That's the most important part of what we do is we, we, we're not going to BS you just so we can fill the program with, with fluff and it can be 200 hours of content. Like that's, we're, we're here to help you make the quickest recovery and, you know, a, a full recovery in the quickest amount of time possible. And some people, it, amazing, amazing people who put in the work and take action can do it anywhere from six weeks to six months. And to see someone go from rock bottom, and sometimes I'll do consultations and, and um, enroll over the phone for, from someone to go from rock bottom to, you know, uh, just loving their life, you know, healed and happy. And now the relationship is getting better. We have clients that have started their own charities and gone to do public speaking and, and, and have bigger goals as, as the most magnificent, touching, rewarding gift 
that that we could ever could ever ask for, because um, it's because it's their it's this is people's lives. Um, so it's really really uh, I kind of went off there, uh, but mostly we reach people with social media. We do the podcast and we we have a blog and stuff like that. Um, Facebook, we do, we run Facebook ads to reach people to, to get the word out. Uh, we have this big Facebook group. It's a private group of, anyone can join, but it's a private group on, of positivity, healing, PTSD. And it's, it's not just clients. It's, it's anyone who wants to join. It's like, I think it's like 8,000 8, members or something. And so it's just people posting. Sometimes it's just their dogs or just like, you can do this and positive stuff. And so we, re we reach people that way just with spreading the word that it is possible and keeping the positive environment. So they're not, there's a lot of Facebook groups out there that are very negative and say, no, you can't post anything about, about being recovered in here because we don't, you know, we don't say that, you know, and, and stuff like that. But, um, sorry, I'm long winded. That, yes. <laughs> okay, great. That's um, it. <laughs> okay, that's it. Um, if you entered my position as a photojournalist this week, what provocative questions might you ask from the depth of your knowledge in the field? Did you have a question? Yes, my, my one question, would be what's the biggest problem needing to be solved? Like, why is this such a big problem? Why, why? That's my favorite question. That is his favorite question. <laughs> I, I asked that question to death, and it's the easiest one to remember. Just why? No, but what's what's the biggest problem, and why? And the biggest problem, from our perspective and from our own experiences going through it, is again we have that on our um, principles right here. Uh, most people don't believe that full recovery from PTSD is possible which is the biggest problem. And mm -hmm. you go online and like you can't find any support or references telling you that you can do this. Like it is 100% possible that you can do this. And the second part of the problem is information is inaccessible, complex and conflicting. Um, so that's a question I would ask. And how do you solve that problem? And that's what we're working on. That's our mission, that's our vision. We're gonna be solving that problem. Um, and to reach every single human on this planet, you know, and that's that's the most amazing thing about the internet, the age that we live in now, and the way that we're doing this, we're building it in a way that, you know, someone in South Africa, in Australia, in Canada, in Hawaii, and New Zealand can join the program, connect with each other, learn from each other, get support from each other 24-7, get the same resources and heal together and build a support community that, you know, is winning, building belief, and then going out there and spreading it. So you, we touch this one person who recovers and heals, who then shares it. We see it, we see it every day. People who have joined the program healed and then go out there and then post about it and help other people and sharing that belief. And with that effect, that compound effect is just gonna compound over time and change the world. And you know, that is our mission, that's our vision. And, that's the that's a question that I would ask. Is like what like why is this even happening? It's like because people don't believe. You know, people are spreading false beliefs, and um, the information out there is inaccessible, conflict, uh, complex, and conflicting. And so I it think needs to be simplified in a way that can be easily digested step by step, so you can get to the desired outcome. <laughs> we also love the high five. That's another. Yes, one. we do. I think um, something else that I want to mention that I don't think I mentioned when we talked about the nature of the work. Believe it or not. <laughs> um, was that you know part part of our mission you know is to is to help people heal but to put all the power in their hands so um, you know something we don't ever want to withhold information from people you know our our intention is not to 
you come to us and, and we heal you and you need us and that's not our attention at all. You know, we want to take you in, you know, under our wing, you know, because you're our little baby bird and then give you all this information and then kind of push you out of the nest. If you want to be out of the nest, you don't have to ever be out of the nest, but, um, and let you fly on your own. And if you never come back, we'll take that as a compliment. You know, we, we, everything we do with our clients, we, we do for life. Like you, you have the updates, you have us, you have the support, everything for life. Like we're never going to take that away from you. That's the other aspect. But you it. won't need it. You won't need it. And that, that's our ultimate goal is, is you don't need it. You want to be here to, to help others. You know, we don't want to ever, you, you don't, we're not a crutch that we want people to rely on. We want to give you absolutely everything. And if we never see you again, that's great. That's perfect. Fine. Go in and live your life. And if you never do anything except heal and become extraordinary on your own, that's okay. Um, but we love when people stay in the group and interact and just build hope. And, and for, for the people who are just beginning their journey, we have so many people on different, different, oh, I almost said different planets, but people all over the, the galaxy <laughs> uh, and on, di on different continents, um, on different parts of their journey. And, you know, that's what we're here to do is give them all the power. We don't want to ever hold anything back. And we don't mm -hmm. ever want to be a crutch that someone relies on. Although we'll always be here, you know, we're not we're not taking anything away, but we're not keeping anything from someone to to kind of keep them tethered or keep them on a leash because this is your life that right. you're messing around with. So, um, my question was, what's the most important thing people need to know when trying to recover from PTSD? And um, like Brad was talking about, it's the belief. It's the belief. Time and time again, it's it comes down to the belief that it's possible, and then it comes down to the pillars. But ultimately, if they don't believe that it's possible, even if they do all the right things, if they don't truly believe that it's possible, it won't work. It just won't work. Your belief system is one of the most powerful things that you have, and it can work for you or it can work against you, and that's. One of the very first things that we do in the program is, is shift the beliefs. And that's something that the community helps with, being a community of people who have done it and people who are doing it and being people that have both done it ourselves. Um, we help with that belief, but the very first thing that we do, or one of the very first things that we do is we go in and very deliberately you know, break down what makes up your beliefs and, and how do you shift your beliefs and how do you create new beliefs, how do you break old beliefs and how do you enforce them. And that is the most important thing. So if there's anything that anyone could do for, for this whole journey, if we did one thing, uh, you know, our whole career doing this, it would be we, we just want to spread the belief. That's what we want to do. Obviously, we want to do a lot more than that, and there is more to it, but the belief is the most important thing. If they don't believe that they can do it. If they don't believe in themselves, they're not going to put the work in. Think about like, if you don't believe that it's possible, why would you do all this hard work? Why would you show up? Why would you listen? Why would you do the worksheets? Why would you take action? Why would you communicate in the group? Why would you even ask me questions if you don't believe that it's possible? So the belief is the number one thing. And that's something that we always, we have a few kind of offices around here. We have our um, our principles, you know, hanging and we have different principles for different things. And that's one thing that we always, we always remind each other of is like, to, like, let's keep reminding people. We know sometimes we forget or like, we know it's possible. Like we, that is an absolute conviction because we've done it and we've, we've helped other people do it. And so we have this like conviction. And sometimes when we do the podcast, we're like, wait a minute, we have to back up for the new people. By the way, 
it's possible to do this. It's possible and, and there is a path to healing. So mm -hmm. that's the number one thing. Yeah, people need to know more than ever nowadays that, I mean, just in general, that without a shadow of a doubt, there is a 100% chance, there's a 100% certainty that you can heal from PTSD. And they need someone to tell them that, and they need someone to believe in them. Um, and like Haley said, that's, that's the most important thing. Um, that's something that we gave to each other throughout our own journey. We were constantly reinforcing the belief. We were constantly reinforcing what our life would be like after. And that belief was the thing that ended up... Because you are going to face hardship after hardship after hardship after hardship. In certain cases. It's not, it's not the same way for everybody. But for some people, you know, our journey was like that. And part of that was because we were figuring it out as we went. Um, but you need, to, you need to build that belief and you need someone behind you that, and that's what we're here. We're, we're going to be behind you every step of the way, pushing you. Be like, this is, this is just another, this is just another um, obstacle that you needed, needed to get through. Like that was an inevitable obstacle that you needed to get through to get to your goal. Um, but it's 100% possible for every single human. And I don't care who you are, what you went through, how long you suffered. 